And um, the title of what we'll be doing today and tomorrow is called Shadowing. Shadowing is basically when someone follows you in the role that you play so that they can learn from you and then one day begin to do that. So um, I really like this picture that I found and that kind of summarizes um, what we'll be talking about the next two days. So uh, what kind of shadow do I cast uh, is a question that I want us to keep asking over the next couple of days. And uh, if you go to Isaiah 60, verse 22, Isaiah 60, 22, Isaiah 60, 22. It says there that the least of you will become a thousand, the smallest a mighty nation. I am the Lord in the time I will do this. In its time I'll do this swiftly. He's talking about how someone as tiny as a runt, that's how the message puts it. Hey, I'm getting a boom and an echo. Is that because something else is on or is it just me? Okay. So Isaiah 60 verse 22 Regardless of how small we are, the shadow we cast is what should matter. And so, um, like it shows in that picture, doesn't matter that you're a pawn, doesn't matter that you're the, the runt in the litter, uh, you're the smallest of the clan like Gideon was. The hope is, the intent is that, can I now, even though I'm the least amongst a thousand, become a mighty nation? The least of you will become a thousand, the smallest a mighty nation. I'm the Lord, in its time I will do this swiftly. That is where we are heading, but what is sometimes our true condition? Our true condition is sometimes what we see in Isaiah 42, verse 22, I think. Isaiah 42, verse 22. And uh, I'm hoping that we can put an end to this condition that we find ourselves in quite often or find other people that we know in quite often. Isaiah 42, verse 22. This is what it says. But this is a people plundered and looted, all of them trapped in pits or hid, hidden away in prisons. They have become plunder with no one to rescue them. They have been made loot with no one to say, send them back or restore. One more time. This is a people plundered and looted, all of them trapped in pits or hidden away in prisons. They have become plunder with no one to rescue them. They have been made loot uh, with no one to say, send them back. Um, my hope is that Acts 29 can get to a place where we not only set ourselves free from demonic oppression, demonic um, harassment, but that we then are able to set others free from demonic oppression, demonic possession, demonic harassment. Because the one thing the church seems to be relatively docile at is setting people free from the harassment of the devil. We are not able to do it for ourselves, we are not able to do it for others. And yet this was such a part and parcel of Jesus' ministry and the ministry of the apostles and the ministry of the early church. And yet, either we don't attempt it or we're not skilled at it or we are not getting good results at it. I was asking a few people in different parts of the world that I'm connected with uh, about some of the areas where they aren't doing as well as uh, they should be. And one of the areas they kept bringing up is this I 
place is this area of spiritual warfare where um, that term itself I dislike because it brings up so many different images and it's sometimes so flaky. But what, what I found out speaking to different people in different parts of the world that I'm connected with is that most of them do not know how to deal with the demonic even though we preached a lot about it. When it comes to practical aspects of it, there hasn't been much growth, much skill, much um, uh, practice, nor experience, and therefore very few testimonies. I'm hoping that'll change. It should change. Because one of the reasons Jesus came down to the earth was to destroy the works of the devil. And if you're going around praying for 49 days, thus far the prayers have been not um, uh, um, deliberately docile, but it's almost uh, a setup where God is hoping that we'll have enough muscle to now uh, do a little more than uh, pray um, relatively tame prayers. How about exerting a little more strength? The thing is, he's got a list of things that we have to first, uh, requirements that we have to meet so that we can pray those kind of prayers. So that's where I'm hoping we can go today. The fact is, according to 1 Samuel 17, the fact is that we have an enemy who is a man of war. As much as God is a man of war, we have an enemy who is a man of war. In 1 Samuel 17, when Saul is talking to David about Goliath, he says of Goliath that that man is a man of war. He has learned war from when he was young. He's a champion. So there are some pitfalls we need to avoid. And one of them is to take stock of the fact that we are dealing with an enemy who is a man of war. Secondly, we need to understand that there is a shout in the enemy's camp. There is a shout in the enemy's camp. Everything that happens in God's camp is also happening in the enemy's camp. It's just that God wins, which is a big deal. He is a man of war. It is also said of Lord Sabaoth that he is a man of war. And guess who wins? There is no contest. But unfortunately, when we don't understand this, then the contest becomes intensive and there is collateral damage. So he is a man of war. There is a shout in the enemy's camp. Just as there is a shout in God's camp, uh, in Numbers 23 we read about it, there's a shout in God's camp. Balaam is prophesying and he talks about it. There is the, sh the shout of a king is in their midst. But there is a shout in the enemy's camp too. And then the third thing that we see from 1 Samuel 17 is that the enemy is relentless and the intent of relentlessness is to see if he can weary you down to a place where relentlessness in assault brings you to a place of weariness. The enemy is relentless in assault to bring about, with the intent of bringing about weariness. So if I don't uh, become cognizant of these facts, then uh, uh, it just doesn't serve me well when I go to find an enemy that I underestimate or I overestimate. I overestimate by the enemy by underestimating God. And I overestimate myself by underestimating the enemy. I overestimate the enemy by underestimating God. And I overestimate myself by underestimating the enemy, as in thinking of him as someone who is not um, 
a man of war is not someone who has a shout in his camp, is not relentless in his assault. I've got to be cognizant of that. It makes me alert, it makes me aware, it makes me trust God, rely on God, depend on God, seek my strategy from God and not on my own. Thing is, we need David's. One of the things David, one of the things David says to Saul after Saul tells him who Goliath is, David says to him in 1 Samuel 17 verse 32, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight. Let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight. We need David's. We need people who can say this, and we don't have them. We don't not have them because they're not available. We don't not have, we don't have, the, I don't know, I have too many negatives. We don't have Davids who can say these lines in 1 Samuel 17, 32. Let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight and say restore. That line is not a line that we hear very often at Acts 29 or in many of the churches that I'm connected with or associated with. And it isn't good enough to have one or two people do this. We need more who can go say this line, prove it, and come back unscathed. That is a catch. It is one thing to say it, another thing to prove it, another thing to prove it and come back unscathed. That is what I'm hoping will happen. Because if we don't do this, then there's no question of restoring people because you cannot restore them till you rescue them. Our, our, our desire is to restore, but there is no restoring without rescuing. This is what Jesus had to do. Jesus had to rescue us off the ransom block where we were captive to the enemy. He rescued us. And having rescued us, he restored us. And to rescue, you have to have the ability to bind up the strong man, enter his house, plunder him, strip him off his armor and everything else he depends on, and plunder his house and rescue. The Spirit of God is good at this, but we somehow um, haven't been able to practice this for many different reasons, some of the reasons being perhaps my inability to get you to a place like that. But if we begin to do that, these rescue involves taking back what is stolen. Rescue involves taking back what is stolen. Taking back what is stolen. Rescue involves securing what is recovered. Securing what is recovered. And rescue involves punishing the one who stole. Or sentencing the one who stole. Rescue involves taking back what is stolen. Rescue involves securing what is recovered. Rescue involves punishing the one who stole so that he doesn't keep stealing again. It's a very short teaching, guys. We'll continue it tomorrow. But um, these are some of the prerequisites. It's almost like if you want to go any further, if these conditions are not met, there is no going any further. And because we are not ready, this is not something that can be tried out by just willy-nilly going out and trying to cast out demons or trying to tear down things that uh, perhaps exist or perhaps don't exist. It becomes flaky and that is a problem with spiritual warfare, right? The prerequisites are not met. Doesn't matter whether it's YWAM, doesn't matter whether it's Campus Crusade, doesn't matter whether it's those wonderful missionary organizations that have done tremendous good. 
but there's so many of them that take young people that have not met the basic requirements that we are talking about here, and therefore they go into enemy territory, have sufficient adventure, and even do damage, but come back never the same. Sometimes damage for years on end. I've met too many of them. It's a catch-22. On one hand, you don't want people to be harmed that way. On the other hand, you can't keep them at home. You can't keep them at home. They have to be sent out. If they're not sent out, the widow's son dies. If, you're then, if they're not sent out, the people follow Baal. If they're not sent out, um, the oil and the f- m- flour does not multiply. If you're not sent out, Jehu is not anointed. If you're not sent out, Elisha is not found. Those things happen only when someone is sent out but sent out prepared. I just want to pause for a second and um, just uh, briefly mention something. Sometimes at Acts 29, because of the number of things that are happening uh, every week, like a teaching on Saturday, a teaching on Sunday, which in itself is weighty, because these are topics that are weighty. And then you've got these daily praying things that are happening for the next 49 days. And then some of you have teaching sessions that happen on a particular day. Some of you are doing house church. It seems like so much. How do, you, how do you even keep up with it? I've received quite a few texts and emails over the last couple of weeks saying, how do I even keep track? I, I don't even know how to finish one before the next one starts. And so I, I would take you to Acts chapter 4, verse 13. And in Acts chapter 4, verse 13, you see what is really required at the end of the day. I mean, I was just thinking of it. That... Twelve men and others with them hung out with the son of the living God, omniscient, omnipresent, omnipotent, though in his humanness he did not know everything. Absolutely knowledgeable. They hang out with him not for two hours on a Saturday, two hours on a Sunday, not on um, eight-minute videos, but they're hanging out with him 24-7 for three and a half years. And he has to prepare them to completely change the world and shift the balance of power where the kingdom of God now begins to grow and the kingdom of the devil keeps reducing. That's what he has to do. You can imagine the conversations he's happening, having on a daily basis. Just nuggets here, teaching here, saying this, showing them how to do things, and they're continuously exposed to them. I'm thinking to myself, those guys must have been swimming, man, not in water, like in conversations. How do you handle it? And yet in Acts 4.13, you see what happens. In Acts 4.13 it says that now Jesus has left, Peter and John are in front of the Sanhedrin and it says there, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. At the end of the day, it's not whether I track with the teaching or not. It is at the end of the day, does that teaching make me look more like Jesus? When people have conversations with me, am I able to pull like a trained scribe, old and new, and can they hear God speaking even through simple conversations? Can they know that as much as these guys are unschooled, there's a courage in them, as much as these guys are ordinary, that there's an astonishment because it looks like these people have spent time with Jesus. How do you spend time with Jesus now? You spend time with Jesus through the Word and with the people of God. Two places where Jesus is always found. And then if you go and look at Matthew 13, 51 and 52, you get the other side of the story. Matthew 13, 51 and 52. 
Matthew 13, 51 and 52. And it says there, have you understood all these things? And uh, Jesus asked, <laughs> probably expecting the answer, no, not really. But instead the disciples said, yes. And then he said to them, therefore every teacher of the law or every scribe who has been instructed about the kingdom of heaven is like the owner of a house who brings out of his storeroom new treasures as well as old. So let me, um, let me um, read from, say, another version. Matthew 13, 51 and 52. Uh, reading from the message. Jesus asked, are you starting to get a handle on all this? That is so typical of us. Like we sometimes don't have a handle on all of it. Are you starting to get a handle on all this? They surprisingly answered yes. He said, then you see how every student, well trained in God's kingdom, is like the owner of a general store who can put his hands on anything you need, old or new, exactly when you need it. You've got to trust the Holy Spirit that he's able to do this. At the end of the day, it's not tracking with, oh, have I finished every teaching or not? But in what I listen, does it go down to the marrow of my spiritual bones, so that when I speak, it comes up automatically. So that's just a diversion on the side. I probably will say it again tomorrow. I haven't had coffee, but I'm speaking really fast. What would happen if I had some cold coffee right now? Had David said those words, three of his men would have gotten up and gone to Starbucks and gotten a cold coffee. But unfortunately, that's not how it's working right now. So, <laughs> and Evan said, and then David would have poured it out. And that's where I'd be different from David. So I'll just stick with water since the game's up. Thanks, Evan. You're no help. But at least you read the word. Good for you. Here's another requirement if you want to go out and fight. You can only go and fight if you've been going out, going out and fighting. You can only go and fight. Sounds like a silly sentence. You can only go and fight. You can only go and fight if you have been, if you have been going out and fighting. You can only go and fight if you have been going out and fighting. That's kind of what David says to Saul in 1 Samuel 17, 34. That do not worry. I know you're concerned about me and you think Goliath is the champion, but I want you to know that I've fought the lion and the bear and I've dealt with them well. And therefore, having gone out and fought, I can go out and fight. And that is where Acts 29 is falling short. A part of the responsibility is mine and I feel like Saul suddenly because... Um, we haven't, most of us haven't gone out and fought. We haven't even learned how to fight for ourselves sometimes, leave alone fight for others. When it comes to actual confrontation with demonic powers, with principalities and powers, we really don't know too much. And a few of us go and do it, and we come back sometimes and report all of it or a little bit of it, because it sounds absurd what sometimes happens in these realms. But unfortunately, because we haven't talked, we haven't attempted it, we're pretty unskilled at it. We have head knowledge, but we have no hands and feet to take us in and out of situations. And I'm praying that that'll change because this 49 day of prayer has to at some point step into these areas. 
But at the same time, the church has to be kept safe. So it's an odd dilemma to be caught in. I'm not saying it has to happen in the next 49 days. I'm saying when we do 98 days, it better happen. Don't worry, don't get afraid. Nobody has more pressure on them than me coming up with something every day and thank God God's been kind. Okay, so here are some uh, prerequisites to train your fingers for battle. Here are some prerequisites to train your fingers for battle. The starting point is 2 Timothy 2, verse 4 and 5. The starting point is 2 Timothy 2, verse 4 and 5. And it basically says that a soldier does not get entangled in civilian affairs and that an athlete complete, competes according to the rules. Two simple things. A soldier does not get entangled in civilian affairs and an athlete competes according to the rules. So here are the prerequisites. First, do you want to? Do you have a desire to? Will you actually train for it? After you meet the requirements, after you if after you meet the after you meet the prerequisites because in every in every story in the new testament and the old testament there are always people who don't think that's something they want to do it is just the nature of the kingdom it is it is a sorry thing to say about the kingdom because it's not the nature of the king but it is the nature of us humans in the kingdom that not everybody wants to go out into harm's way to deal with an active real enemy to train and pay a high cost of training to be ready for it not everybody has a desire many of us will sit back and it is the nature of the kingdom of God when it comes to humans and there's nothing we can do about it. And so I need to ask you the question. I, I, I see 10, 11 people here and I'm asking you, do you have the desire? Do you want to? And if you say you have the desire and you want to, do you have the aggression required to pay a high cost of training after you meet the prerequisites? If you don't meet the prerequisites, you don't even get invited to boot camp. That's how it is. This is, yeah. There'll be pastors who say, oh no, um, just use the name of Jesus. The name of Jesus is the most powerful name and you just use it and demons flee. That is true, but the prerequisites must be met and we'll talk about that. So the first question is, do you have the desire? And uh, I want to say that not everyone at Acts 29 has a desire. I want to say to the one sitting here, you need to ask yourself if you have the desire and then if you have the ability to pay the cost to train. Because this is what actually sets you free. And this is what actually sets people free from the works of the enemy. 
And they are plenty. I mean, go through the Gospels. Do you know how many times Jesus went about doing this on a daily basis? It just bothers me as I speak because this is not spoken of and if you speak about it, it sounds almost flaky. I was listening to a sermon recently by someone in another church, much much bigger, much larger. And, and, the, and the line that people use, it really bothers me. It's, oh, we shouldn't see a demon behind every bush, but we should be aware that the devil is real. Really? That gets you anywhere? That's how the entire thing is dismissed. Oh, we shouldn't get too hyper, but we should be aware that he's real. How does that help? Oh, yeah. I wish I had a real audience without masks that would actually speak back. I'm not talking about you guys, I'm talking about like in the good old days when you'd have 50, 60 people and I'd ask questions and someone would ask a question back. But Yeah, so, so um, Evan's question is, when people go with organizations and they're sent out into um, nations that have uh, um, certain spiritual powers or places that you're not just to walk into nil, um, um, without forethought and strategy, what happens to them? Uh, and why do they come back harmed? And why can't someone cover them like Boaz covered Ruth? That's the question. So the answer is, most of them go under the banner of an organization, not under the banner of a person. They volunteer to an organization and they go. This idea of sentness is so critical to our existence. But because uh, YYM, Campus Crusade, and people like that do a tremendous job because they open the avenue for people who would otherwise rot in churches because they will not be sent anywhere. Because of the clergy laity divide where the pastor does everything. So there's no question of people going unless there's a mission organization that helps them go. So these mission organizations are actually filling a gap that the church is not stepping into. But having, sent, ha having invited them to go into a nation, who is the sender? It's, not, it's an organization. It's not, it's not someone who watches over you. It's not someone who's sending you uh, as the church, sending you in the name of Christ. And it's not the organization's fault. They're doing a service. Sentness is so critical. <coughs> Wentness is not. And a course doesn't prepare you. The Spirit of God and people prepare you. A course doesn't prepare you. Going through a program doesn't prepare you. Understanding a nation's culture doesn't prepare you. But it's the best that can be done in a very difficult situation so Acts 29 I'm pleading with you 
Suit up for this, huh? Put your fists up, suit up for this. We need to do this. Otherwise, our lives will always be stumbling and stammering through these phases and there'll be no deliverance for others. Please don't quest, please don't doubt me when I say that almost everything is spiritual. Please don't doubt me when I say that behind most things that are happening that are supposedly accidental and evil and circumstantial and oppressed and harassed, there are actually evil powers that do harm to people. Sure, there is sin and there are consequences of sin. Sure, there's a fallen world where things happen. But we need to know there are the thousands and thousands and thousands of demonic spirits whose only work is to try and keep those that are blind under the sway of the devil and to keep those that can see dull and harassed. This is the truth. Please don't doubt it. Give me credit for 32 years of being a believer. Give me credit for the word of God that talks about this. Acts 10.38 really grabs me. And God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with power and the Holy Spirit so that he could set free those that were harassed by the devil. Harassment is real. It's a daily thing. It's in every life. Like I've said over the last two weeks, and that line really gets me, that unless he is forced, Satan does not let go of flesh. It happens with you. It happens with your family. It happens with circumstances. It happens every day. If I don't train my fingers for battle, then I postpone my commission and postpone um, the time of my engagement. If I don't train my fingers for battle by being a soldier enlisted, not engaging and disengaging in um, the work of God from this perspective. If I'm, athlete, if I'm an athlete that does not run by the rules, what happens is my commission is postponed and my engaging in assignments with God that set people free, that rescue people is shifted to another time frame because God is protective of me and doesn't want me to come to harm. So here are the prerequisites. One, cheap grace, cheap grace that licenses sin, cheap grace that licenses sin, cheap grace that licenses sin makes casualties out of Christians makes casualties out of Christians, makes casualties out of Christians. The more we hear the cheap grace message, the more people begin to sin. Why? Because where grace abounds, unfortunately, sin abounds nowadays. Instead of grace causing us to turn towards God, the cheap grace message is so saturating the world that it has almost taken away the fear of God. And cheap grace that licenses sin makes casualties out of Christians because they don't realize how damaging sin is in this war of attrition. They don't realize. When I listen to guys like Joel Austin or Joseph Prince, it bothers me. There might be nuggets of truth in what they're saying, but the way it is being swallowed by thousands and thousands and thousands across the earth, 
brings them to a place where they may make it to heaven. They may make it to heaven, at least in Joel Austin's case. But my God, they will not be able to stand and fight. Because cheap grace allows sin to be a normal part of life. So here's the word for Acts 29. If you haven't been able to display a lifestyle that is consistent, if you haven't been able, and you know it, and I know it about my life, and sometimes others know it too, but if you haven't been able to display a lifestyle that is consistent, then before you decide to um, take on uh, adventures, take on uh, assignments, go battling, go prophesying, go praying against things, first, Train yourself in righteousness. Over a period of six months, show that your God is not your belly, that your glory is not your shame, and that your mind is not set on earthly things. Philippians 3 verse 17 to 19 says that they bring disrepute to the cross, their God is their belly, their glory is their shame, and they have their mind set on earthly things. If you cannot give yourself and God and the people that you now belong to, six consistent months of a lifestyle that displays the victory of the cross, then what you need to do is train in righteousness, not in training your fingers for battle. Philippians 3, 17 to 19. And you know if your life matches up. Nobody else needs to examine it. But please don't even volunteer to train for battle if you haven't trained yourself in righteousness. Because I certainly will not pick you if I, were, I am the pastor and I am. Oh yeah, I am. And I will not pick you. But what if God tells you, then I'd argue with God and find out why he still wants to pick you. Habitual sin, you know, because I've been fat, is that a, a politically correct word? But it's about me, so what, what does it matter? Because I've been fat most of my life, um, my back, it hunches, because this is the way I've always walked. Why am I showing you this? Because habitual sin curves the soul. It gives you a posture that becomes very hard to straighten out. Now for me to walk straight with my shoulders back, I can do that for a while, but after a while it begins to hurt because this is not the posture that I've culti cultivated for the last hundreds of years. So, so, so the back is kind of bent. Habitual sin curves your soul. Don't think that you can straighten it out in two days. So on one hand I'm saying this is a prerequisite. On the other hand I'm, 
I'm pleading with us that let's step up and meet the requirements of God because it's important. So habitual sin curves the soul. Habitual sins Habitual sin curves the soul. It dulls your sight. It dulls your sight to God's majesty. It dulls your sight to God's majesty. It unleashes it unleashes the beast of wantonness, the beast of wantonness or craving or lust. It unleashes the beast of wantonness. It awakens an appetite for more sin. It awakens an appetite for more sin. It awakens an appetite for more sin. It torpedoes holiness. And it triggers an avalanche of guilt. How can you deal with the enemy if you don't first train for righteousness? How? Impossible. This is the first prerequisite. Do you understand why cheap grace then is destructive? It is destructive. And God will hold people who preach cheap grace accountable for diluting and weakening the body. Any questions? When I'm caught in habitual sin, I'm frequenting sh light and darkness. One day I'm in the light, two days I'm in the darkness. One day I'm in the light, half a day I'm in the darkness. It just, and it's impossible to then train to take on the enemy and rescue people. It is impossible. You'll get beaten. You cannot. This is when using the name of Jesus, if it works, will be the sheer grace of God. Any questions, guys? Next prerequisite. Individual Christianity individual Christianity shapes you into a straggler ripe for the picking. Decide that if you really want to be participating with God in what he is commissioning us as a church for, to go and do some harm. Like that song says that Jane sang, that nations will crumble, kings and rises, kings and 
rulers will rise and fall, the demons will flee. If you really want to do this as a church, then it is required that you do not engage in isolated individual Christianity because individual Christianity just renders you or shapes you into a straggler. And in any herd, a straggler is always picked off by the enemy. You will not survive a battle without harm. Jacob, you're being so negative because it saves your life. You don't tell a child, that socket, put your hand in there, you'll feel a shudder, and then perhaps you'll fall, perhaps you won't. That's a positive spin on putting your hand in the socket. Next one. Itching ears produces deceived warriors whose weapons are not loaded. Itching ears. Itching ears is when uh, you will believe anything said about uh, the demonic, about the spirit, about how to war with uh, powers, principalities, and spirits. And it is one of the most popular types of books after the end times and Israel. The next popular type of book that is sold most is spiritual warfare. If you don't know anything about Israel and if you don't know how to write about the end times, write this. And if this doesn't work, then try prayer. And if prayer doesn't work, try grace. And if grace doesn't work, write a song. These are the usual hits. But itching ears is when you want to hear something that will suit your fancy. And the charismatic world is full of this. And what it does is it produces deceived warriors, deceived soldiers. Soldiers who think they know a method or a technique and they go and then they realize that their guns are not loaded, that their weapons are blunt. Half the reason why I do not mention people that I read or people that I may have borrowed stuff from is because I'm so scared that you will Google them and then read all their books. And out of the 50 things they say, maybe two are brilliant and 48 are really crappy. That may be not such a kosher word. Really sucky. That is not better either. Uh, really bad. Next one. Zeal without knowledge of the word. Zeal without knowledge of the word. So the last one I mentioned, if you want a scripture, it's in Second Timothy 4.3, where it says people have itching ears and they'll deceive themselves. 2 Timothy 4.3, zeal without knowledge of the word, without knowledge of the word. I'm even writing fast as I talk. Zeal without knowledge of the word makes you 
a worthless swordsman. Proverbs 19, verse 1. Uh, if you read it from the NKJV. Zeal without knowledge of the word makes you a worthless swordsman. How skilled are you with the word? Not skilled in topics. Not skilled in what we have been taught, but skilled with the word. So that, when I said three of David's mighty men would have run through enemy territory to get me Starbucks the responses and then you would have poured it out. So you know you have the knowledge of the word even though it doesn't help me at all. But the point is zeal without knowledge of the word makes you a worthless swordsman. This is when you have like Zorro or one of those guys who has a few extra swords, you pull out one from here, 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 and then you pull out one from here and you've got so many in your hand. Because you know where to pull out these swords from and they cut both ways, double-edged sword. These are things that are prerequisites. If these are not met, you don't even get to train for war. Next one. Dullness. Dullness. Dullness is when you see and hear, but you don't perceive or understand. Dullness is when you see and hear, but you don't perceive and understand. Dullness is when you see and hear. Dullness is when you see and hear but you don't perceive or understand. Now why does that happen? Usually because of a refusal to practice what you know or have been taught. See, have a sharp knife, don't use it, it goes blunt. This is why Jesus says in the New Testament, to whom much is given, much is expected. And uh, if you don't use it, what you have will also be taken away from you. Dullness is when I can see clearly and I can hear clearly, but I'm not able to perceive or understand because I do not sit under the word, I go around the word, I don't go under it, and I don't practice it. And when I don't practice it, I develop spiritual sclerosis where there's a hardening of my heart. It is very strange how in Isaiah 6 verse 8 says, uh, who shall I send? Who will go for us? And Isaiah says, send me. And then you guess where he's being sent to? I'm sending you to a people who hearing will not hear and listening will not perceive. I'm sending you to people who are dull. What an assignment, the first one that he sent on. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11. I wish I could tell you more, but the reason I can't, says Paul, is because you've gotten dull in hearing, because you do not practice what you're taught, and therefore are losing the ability to discern. Guys, these are prerequisites, and all of these prerequisites are absolutely changeable. 
absolutely changeable. They don't even, this might sound terrible, they don't even need God's help to change. You can change them. As in, you can decide, I'm going to practice the word. I'm not saying don't ask God for help. I'm saying these are things that you can do. And the last one. The last one is solo soldiering. Solo soldiering where you will win battles but you will lose the war. Will win battles. But you will lose the war. Solo soldiering happens to guys who actually have met the prerequisites and are skilled at fighting. But at some point they decide that, nah, I'll do this myself. Solo soldiering, solo soldiering uh, will win battles but lose the war. Because here's the thing about warfare, guys. According to Proverbs 20, is that the wrong thing to give her? Yeah. Oh, sorry. I, I thought you wanted to write. I was trying. In Proverbs 24, verse 6, it says that if you want to wage war, make sure you have a multitude of counselors because guidance and strategy comes from counsel. When guys who have met the prerequisites and are skilled then begin to go and operate as solo mercenaries taking down the enemy. It is only a matter of time before the lack of counsel cripples them and they come back to the same place that they used to be before where they're no longer useful. Any questions? We'll stop there. Continue tomorrow. I want to say to you that if these prerequisites are not met, then I definitely will not send you because I do not want to expose you. And if you go, I will call you back. And it's up to you whether you come back or not, but I will call you back saying, you haven't um, earned your stripes to go. And the only reason I'm, I would say that is because you will get hurt. Because the enemy is real. Any questions? Father, it's not enough that Acts 29 grows in every other area but then falls short in the individuals at Acts 29 as a collective dealing with the works of the enemy. I just want to read, Lord, from different passages in the New Testament. Luke chapter 8, verse 26. They sailed to the region of Gerasenes, which is across the lake from Galilee. When Jesus stepped ashore, he was met by a demon-possessed man from the town. For a long time, this man had not worn clothes or lived in a house, but had lived in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell at his feet, shouting at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, don't torment me. For Jesus had commanded the evil spirit to come out of the man. Many times it would seize him and throw and though he was chained hand and foot, kept under guard, he had broken his chains and had been driven by the demon into solitary places. Jesus asked him, what is your name? 
legion, he replied. Because many demons had gone into him. They begged him repeatedly not to order them out into the abyss. And then finally, Jesus gives them permission. And when the demons come out of the man, they went into the pigs and the herd drowns. Jesus sends out the twelve. And once he sends out the twelve, they came back and they reported to Jesus what they had done. They said, demons obey us. Matthew chapter 10. I'm just going through different scriptures. I can show you scripture after scripture after scripture where um, this was commonplace for the disciples. Matthew chapter 12 verse 22. Then they brought him a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute. This was a person who couldn't speak and who couldn't see. Then they brought him a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute. Jesus healed him so that he could both talk and see. All the people were astonished. Let me pull out some more. Do you want to help me call out something? Matthew chapter 17, verse 14. When they came to the crowd, when they came to the crowd, a man approached Jesus and knelt before him. Lord, have mercy on my son. He has seizures and is suffering greatly. He often falls into the fire or into the water. I brought him to your disciples, but they could not heal him. Oh, unbelieving and perverse generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy here to me. Jesus rebuked the demon and it came out of the boy and he was healed from that very moment. But that is Jesus. Acts chapter 5, verse 12. The apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders among the people, but let's go to dealing with the demonic. Let's go. Where is that? Uh, Paul in Acts 16. Acts 16, Paul casting out the spirit of divination. Um, once when we were verse 16 16 16 once when we were going to the place of prayer we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit by which she predicted the future you think this isn't happening today every incident i'm reading is is perhaps more today than it has ever been she earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. This girl followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are the servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so troubled that he turned around and said to the Spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At the moment, the Spirit left her. Acts chapter 19, verse 11. God did extraordinary miracles through Paul so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick and the illnesses were cured and the evil spirits left them. Acts chapter 10 verse 38. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. Acts chapter 26 verse 17. And 18. 
I am sending you to them to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to the light, from the power of Satan to God, so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Acts chapter 8. Now for some time a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city and amazed all people of Samaria. You think it ain't happening today? He boasted that he was someone great and all the people both high and low gave him their attention. This man is divine, known as a great power. They followed him because he had amazed them for a long time. But when they believed Philip as he preached the good news of the kingdom of God, the name of Jesus Christ, and they were baptized, Simon himself believed and was baptized. Acts chapter 19, verse 17. When this became known to the Jews and the Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear. Many of those who believed now came and openly confessed their evil deeds. The number who had practiced sorcery brought out their scrolls together and burned them publicly. When they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 drachmas. In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. So many stories, man. Sergius Paulus, where is that story? Where Paul goes before him and there's a man who opposes him and blindness falls on him. Anyways, you get the point. I feel so... What is it when they... Ah, hamstrung. I feel that the church is so hamstrung when it comes to this part of Christianity. I'm reminded of Matthew 10. These 12 Jesus sent out with the following instruction. Do not go among the... Matthew 10, 5. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. As you go, preach this message. The kingdom of heaven is near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Mark 16. Verse 18. And these signs will accompany those who believe me. In my name they will drive out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up snakes with their hands. They will drink deadly poison. It will not hurt them. They will place their hands on sick people and they will get well. Matthew 8 verse 28. Oh, we've already read that. I love this next uh, scripture and we'll end with that. Matthew 8 verse 14. When Jesus came into Peter's house, he saw Peter's mother-in-law lying in bed with a fever. He touched her hand and the fever left her and she came up and begged to wait on him. When evening came, many who were demon-possessed were brought to him and he drove out the spirits with a word and healed all the sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took up our infirmities and carried our diseases. Where is that Jesus? Where is that Jesus? What about the woman who was bent? Do you know where that story is? The woman who was bent for many years. Luke 13, 11. 
On a Sabbath, Jesus was teaching and a woman was there who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. Even the ability to discern what is a disease and what is caused by a demonic spirit. How are we going to rescue and restore? Who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said, Woman, you are set free from your infirmity. After having set her free from the spirit that had caused her infirmity, he put his hands on her and immediately she straightened up and praised God. I said I would end. What does it say? Luke 7, 7. There's another scripture I'm looking for which you can check where everybody in the town of Sharon or Lydda got healed. Philip did amazing miracles. Guys, at the end of the day, let's just pray and then, and then maybe Jane can come and lead us in a song that summarizes everything we've been talking about. Father, we feel hamstrung. This is not our reality. This is not our reality. But this is you. You are real and you live in us. This is your body. This is your people. We don't want to be known. We don't want anyone to know. We just want to go quietly about your business. We want you to be known. I won't peddle it. I won't magnify it, I won't boast about it but you must give us this because this was part of who your son is but to give us this you want us to be prepared So, Holy Spirit help us meet these prerequisites and then prepare because there are far too many far too many, Holy Spirit this is right up your alley remember Isaiah 61 Holy Spirit this is what you do you came to set the captive free to open prison doors, to heal the brokenhearted and those that are blind. This is your work, Holy Spirit, but you work through people. We are your temple. We are your community. We are the body of Christ. So Spirit of God, make this our reality as a church. And then once it becomes our reality, let it spread right across, right across every place we go. Let it touch whoever we are connected with. So that a people will arise here on earth that are anointed with the Holy Spirit and with power to set free those that are harassed by the devil and to do good. We didn't name ourselves Acts 29 just for the fun of it. I want us to be Acts 29. I want the story to continue. I want chapters to be written. I want our children to write stories about their parents. I want this, oh God, I want this for your sake, for your namesake, for your glory. I really don't care about Acts 29 being known or me being known or any of us being known. But, oh God, this is who your church is. This is who your son is. So, Father, I am provoking you, Father, saying, bring to pass who your son is in the body of your son, Jesus Christ, here. 
But, oh God, I ask that at Acts 29 we meet these prerequisites, that there be not a person who has listened to this and thinks, oh, that's a rebuke. No, no, no. It's an invitation saying, this is what I'm calling you to, but if you want this, then you must meet these standards because I will not have you step into this and be harmed. I would rather you come to heaven whole. Anything else I should say? Or can I stop, Father? Father, give this church a hatred for sin. 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 Anybody who comes to this church, even as a guest, even as an unbeliever, even as someone stepping in for one service, let them go away knowing that sin must be hated. Give us a hatred for sin. Give me a hatred for sin so that there's no nibbling, no tolerance for that which is anti-God. Sin is anti-God. Give me a hatred for sin. So that we will be able to say with Jesus, the prince, of the, dark, the prince of darkness has come, but he has nothing in me. So we'll sing Echo. Um, but what, what I was reminded by when I was listening is that who else gets to utter the name of Jesus on this earth but us? We have the opportunity. Jesus is walking on this earth through us. We have the opportunity and the privilege and the command, really, to speak his name, and do what Jesus did today. And that's exactly what this song talks about, that we get to do all these things in Jesus' name, that we stand in his authority, that we walk in his authority.
Yeah, so let's not, I know this is a fast song and often we can get caught up in just singing it with excitement, but I've, I really would encourage us to sing it also just really feeling and know, like really reading and, and knowing what we're singing and declaring. able to pull up echo i think it's um echo in jesus name it was right Mm -hmm. move the mountains bid the empty soul demons bid the empty soul be filled and now there's breakthrough now there's freedom in your name you gave us power and the keys to you move you move the mountains told the Now there's breakthrough. And now 
Pray with me, church. Father, if I am habitually sinning, I need your help. And I want to turn from my habitual sin. It's wrecking my life. I'm swimming in a cesspool of guilt and I want you to kill the appetite I have for sin. It disallows me to live holy. It just blinds me to your beauty and your majesty. My heart longs, oh God, longs longs to be able to commune with you the way others that I know do or that I've seen David and have read in your word I long for it oh God I want to be commissioned I want to be someone engaged with you in doing what the Holy Spirit was sent for to make me like Christ and then to use me like Christ to rescue and restore. I want this. I want to be a part of the body that does this. I come, O oh God, pleading, O oh God, set me free. Set me free again. Set me free again. Train me in righteousness so that one day, six months from now, having proven that I am free from habitual sin, I can train to war and you can train my fingers for battle. Jesus, I surrender my individual Christianity. I don't want to be an isolated straggler that the enemy picks out, just like lions pick out the straggler from a herd. Help me get over the obstacles that prevent me from releasing my independence and joining and being part of the community of the Spirit, the people of God. Take away from me those things that make it so hard for me to connect. I want to surrender my individual Christianity because an army marches together. Your army always follows you together. Father, take away my tendency to read everything, listen to everything with itching ears and itching eyes, wanting every piece of information, every new Christian trend, every new thing on Facebook, every article that is sent to me to read it. I surrender my uh, thirst for that kind of knowledge. I don't want that knowledge because it deceives me. Oh God, I bring you my itching ears and my eyes that hunger like a leech for more information, more information, more information like the Greeks. Paul said of them that they are like people who want the next new thing. I don't want it anymore. I surrender the 
multiple pastors, multiple teachers I listen to, the multiple tables I eat at. I end it now. I don't want to continue like that. That I may not be deceived. That my weaponry not be empty. Father, I'm sorry that I've been operating like a solo soldier, a mercenary, off on his own assignments and trips, abandoning counselors and the multitude of counselors through whom warfare is made. Father, I return right now. I return right now. I come back right now. I'm sorry. I stopped this foolishness. Let this message be like the angel that stood with the sword and ended Balaam's mad rush into folly. I come back now. I abandon this, this, this way of cutting off counselors and warring on my own. Father, please give me a zeal that goes with the knowledge of the word. I want the knowledge of the word. What good is it if I'd, I'm a swordsman that, that doesn't know the word? Reach for my sword and there's an empty sheath there, but no sword. Zeal without knowledge makes me a worthless swordsman. Father, please, Lord, even on the 49th day, thing let me be able to read the chapters that are assigned let me increase in the word just by restarting an appetite chewing meditating so that i might be a tree planted by the rivers whose leaves shall not wither whose fruit shall prosper in all seasons these are prerequisites that i pray father that i might meet and finally father take away the dullness that has come to, through years of Listening around the word, not listening under the word. Always being selective in what I will choose to practice and what I will choose not to practice. I end my selectiveness today. I come to listen under your word, under your word, receiving it and practicing it. Oh God, take away the spiritual sclerosis that has hardened my heart where I find no pleasure in practice. God, renew it, Father. These are prerequisites. Grant them. Father, the only reason I've gone into this lengthy prayer is so that Acts 29 may once again be at a place where we can be used as a battle axe, where we can be used as a straight arrow, where we can be used as a spear and a bow at your disposal. O King of Kings who wears a, 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 a sash across your blood-stained robes that